when I was visiting all these different areas post the earthquake uh, during my job tenure, I came across a middle-aged man in one of the villages and he had brought his three-year-old son to the health post where I was going for my routine inspection and fee visit. And he told me that he carried his son on foot and walked for more than one and a half hours just to get a small bandage on his son's head because he had a wound over there. So that's just primary first aid service. And, uh, you know, the guy, he was wearing basic sandals and it was really hot. And the child, he was bleeding from his forehead. So all these scenes just made me realize the kind of privilege that I grew up with. Whereas there were also people like those who had to walk for such a long time to get just the basic enmity of health service. I think uh, it also made me realize the kind of social injustice and the level of disparities we have between peoples of different classes here in our country. And, you know, uh, there was this moment of self-realization that so many people are losing their lives and having to face an untimely death due to reasons as such. Just because they were not so fortunate to belong to a privileged class with access to financial resources or health resources within their reach. Hello everyone, my name is Dean Long and welcome to the podcast Lifeline. In this podcast, I will interview people who are having a positive impact in their community and have a strong message that deserves to be shared. We will dive deeper into their journey becoming a change maker and hopefully you can take away some insights for your own journey. And please do subscribe to Lifeline on YouTube, Apple Podcasts or any platform that you are using. And also you can share this episode with your friends if you like it. It's really what helps me the most. In today's episode, you will meet Neha Mala, who is a health activist on a mission to bring basic healthcare services to the furthest behind in Nepal. She is passionate about primary healthcare, maternal child health and nutrition, and she co-founded Socha in 2016, and it has been recognized internationally by UNICEF and One Young World. We go through the birth of Sochai, how the initial team with Bonita Sharma, Manjita Sharma and Ashutosh Doshkarki took action by creating the NutriBeats bracelets, a low-tech product for pregnant women that informs about how to feed a child in the first two years of their life. And then we discuss how they scaled from this first product to actually support women, children, girls and families reach their full potential in life by improving their health and breaking the vicious cycle of malnutrition. Niha shares her eye-opening moments traveling to all the provinces of Nepal in the wake of the 2015 earthquake, where she observes the lack of basic health services and infrastructure. We discuss why it's important for her to have a very strong and transparent team, what are the small moments that help her discover her true purpose and make Sochai succeed. See you at the end of the episode, and I hope you enjoy. Namaste, Niha. How are you today? Namaste, Din. I'm fine. How are you doing? I'm good. I've been telling you that I received my new glasses. Uh, uh -huh. So, yeah, I have these beautiful reflections on, on the screen. Uh, but, yeah, no, I'm super happy, super excited to have you on Lifeline Podcast today. And actually, I forgot to tell you, but it's actually the first time 
uh, that I have a guest that I don't know. Um, every time it's people I know already that I have met through work or virtually. I have worked on some product with them. So it's actually the first time I have a guest that I don't know. So it makes me also super happy because it's, you know, but Lifeline is also a way for me to meet new inspiring people outside of my own network. We were connected uh, via Sagar, one of the amazing movers from Nepal who really recommended you. So yeah, cannot wait to hear your story. And um, yeah, maybe... Uh, would you start by introducing yourself, maybe what you're doing these days, where you come from, or anything that you want to kickstart with? Thank you, Din. Um, so my name is Neha Molla. I'm from Kathmandu, Nepal. And uh, I'm currently uh, leading a social enterprise called Sochai, which stands for Social Changemakers and Innovators here in Nepal. Uh, we basically work on the sector of nutrition, health, and menstrual hygiene management. Uh, so Socha is a group of uh, youth change makers. We train and empower uh, youth who are from similar backgrounds to us, who are interested and passionate to work in the community and on the sector of health, nutrition, and hygiene. And... Uh, yeah, it's been quite a journey. If I just look back Across the years and I'm actually quite excited that I'll be sharing it uh, with the listeners of the Lifeline podcast and with you today and yeah like you mentioned uh, I did check out previous episodes of your podcast and it's usually people who you've met personally or virtually till now so uh, today <laughs> I am the first one whom you didn't know previously or haven't met or been connected but Thanks to Sagar, who you mentioned uh, before. Uh, we're here today and I'm quite excited. And hopefully my story can move or inspire your listeners in some way. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much, Neha. So, yeah, for me, you know, I, I don't really have experience in the health sector, nor in maternal childcare or even working with children or with mothers. So yeah, I think I really hope to learn from your story and from this interview today. So yeah, really, really excited. Yeah, maybe just to kickstart about such shy. So you, you guys do a lot of stuff. You have products, you have services, and you have awareness events. You produce low-cost and low-tech innovative products. So I saw all the bracelets. Well, let's kickstart with that. Would you like to share a bit about the bracelets? How did you have the idea? Uh, what is the impact of the bracelets? What did you hope to achieve through the bracelets? As I mentioned before, through Sochai, we work on the sector of nutrition, health and menstrual hygiene. Uh, so we came up with the idea of two innovative bracelets, which are quite simple, actually. Uh, they're not high tech or, you know, engineered with some complex technology as such. They're just simple stone and glass beaded bracelets having different colors and numbers. So there are two bracelets that our team has created. The first one is called the Nutribeads bracelet. Uh, so this bracelet has different numbers like 0, 6, 9, 12, and 24. And in between these numbers, there are different colored beads. 
So this bracelet is targeted for women who are pregnant and lactating, as in uh, women who are breastfeeding their infants who are below two years of age. So this first two years of the child's age, plus the nine months of pregnancy, uh, this period is called the golden thousand days of a child's life, you know, the first thousand days. And what the child gets fed, what he or she eats, or the kind of nutrition that he or she receives is quite vital for the overall growth and development of the child. And also it determines the overall health and immunity status of the child. That's why we focused on this golden thousand day period and created this NutriBeats bracelet. Between zero and six, the number zero and six, you'll find a white colored bead, which represents mother's milk or breastfeeding. So it says that for the first six months, a mother should exclusively breastfeed her child. The child does not need any food from outside, as in not even water. The mother's milk is the complete nutritional source for the child's growth and development. And after six months, along with white, you'll find four more colors. Brown, which stands for cereals and grains. That is the carbohydrate or energy-giving foods. Yellow, which uh, stands for pulses, legumes and nuts, which are plant source of proteins, the bodybuilding foods. Third one is the green color, which stands for vegetables, fruits, your food sources for vitamin and minerals, which basically develops immunity power in the body. And finally, a blue colored bead. So blue bead stands for animal source of protein and fat, such as dairy products, meat, egg, fish, poultry. So all these foods that we consume on a daily basis. So along with the mother's milk, Plus these four core food groups, it comprises and makes up the complete nutritional source for the child. And it is also very vital for the brain development of the child because almost 80% of the child's brain develops during the first thousand days. So that's why we're pushing this information through our NutriBeats bracelet. And what we do is we train young people, like I said before, these young volunteers who are associated with Sojai, they go to communities, uh, health centers in the community, and they give them bracelets to the mothers for free and give them counseling of about 15 to 20 minutes individually to explain the concept of Nutribeats, why it's important to feed the child according to what the bracelet says. And uh, we also do a follow-up with the mother to whom we've given the bracelet, as in we take their phone number, their home address, and go back to their homes after a month to see uh, whether they've actually kept the bracelet with them and has it brought any kind of positive change in their knowledge, behavior, in terms of free breastfeeding or feeding their child in day-to-day basis. And as per a pilot survey that we did when we uh, implemented the idea of the bracelet, we found that uh, almost 83% of the mothers had increased knowledge and changed the dietary pattern or feeding pattern for the children. So we were quite happy and excited to see the result because what our innovation did was actually create a positive impact. And even though it was a small step, I think it was the foundation to creating a healthy life and a nutritious lifestyle for the child. 
So this is how we came up with the idea of NutriBeats bracelet. We actually developed the concept back in 2016 when we applied to the Youth Innovation Challenge held by UNICEF and Tandemic uh, Malaysia for the Asia Pacific region. And the idea for our bracelet won the first prize in that competition, beating 17 other countries. We won $5,000 as our seed grant, and that's how we started our work. Oh, cool. I mean, I'm glad to hear that a uh, project from such competition is still alive uh, and has so much impact. Thank you for sharing that. And I really love the low-tech approach. I just wonder, like, was this bracelet the birth of Sochai as well? Or were you doing already other projects? Um, yeah, so this bro- bracelet and the Youth Innovation Challenge is uh, the basic step from where we came together and created Sochai. Uh, we, uh, the four co-founders, uh, we were friends and knew each other before, but uh, we were working on different areas. But because we were applying to the Youth Innovation Challenge, we came up together as a team and developed the concept of bracelet. And yeah, that's how the journey of Sochai started. We actually started off as a loose youth network uh, with the name Youth for Nutrition. And uh, during our journey and evolving as change makers and innovators, that's how we came up with the name of Sochai after about a year and a half, I think, yeah. So yeah, uh, as you mentioned, the I think the beauty of our bracelet and our project is that it's quite simple. It's uh, self-explanatory because you know there's a lot of education and literacy gap, uh, especially amongst females and women here in Nepal. And since this bracelet is primarily targeted to mothers in the community, uh, so it's really descriptive on its own has colors and numbers that can be understood easily even by women and mothers who have not had the chance to get a formal education so yeah i truly believe on the famous quote by steve jobs that simplicity is the ultimate sophistication and that's why whatever we do from sochai whatever projects or products or services that we develop it's quite simple quite understandable but it goes on to create some lasting impact to the beneficiaries or to the people that we uh, reach out to. Thank you for clarifying a bit on the problem, on the issues that you realized. So I have a question, but it's, yeah, it will sound a bit like, a, you know, when you are in a startup competition question, but maybe to contextualize things for me and for the audience, could you explain what is the scale of this problem Is it, I don't know, throughout Nepal? How big is it? Uh, Yeah, I don't really know much. I would love to understand a bit more. So uh, the problem of malnutrition and uh, nutrition deficiency is quite prevalent in Nepal, especially in children who are below five years. And, you know, uh, this period is also quite crucial for the child's overall lifespan and uh, the health status of the child for his uh, entire lifespan. Uh, so in Nepal, uh, according to our National Demographic Health Survey that was conducted in 2016, it's conducted every five years. It was found that almost 36% of children below five years of age have the problem of stunting, which is a chronic form of malnutrition and cannot be reverted back. 
And uh, you can just imagine, right? 36% is quite a large number. It means that 36 out of every 100 children are suffering from malnutrition in Nepal, uh, a chronic form that cannot be treated or reverted back. So you can see that this will ultimately go on to affect an entire generation uh, in terms of their uh, health status, in terms of their capacity to earn or work. And thus, this will go on to create uh, a vicious cycle of malnutrition that needs to be broken if we want to create a healthier society that has a potential to achieve their maximal life goals or life status. So uh, this problem has been really prevalent. And one of the major causes for such forms of chronic malnutrition to appear in children and uh, infants is because their mothers do not have the proper knowledge, adequate knowledge about the kind of foods that she needs to feed or even about the uh, concept of breastfeeding and why it is so vital or crucial for the child's development. So uh, because malnutrition is such a pressing issue for the children here in Nepal, that's why we basically focused for the golden thousand days period. And thankfully, even though it's a small initiative, it has uh, gone on to create some lasting impacts and we've been receiving really encouraging and positive feedback till date to continue and expand our mission. It makes me think a lot. Um, you know, these days I work a lot on the issue of climate change and we always speak about, you know, what are the actions that citizens can do, any citizen, to try to fight dangerous climate change. And I'm wondering in, like in the problem that you are addressing, the malnutrition for children less than five years old, what can you know, regular citizens do who might not be aware a lot about this issue? What, I mean, for sure they can, they can support uh, such a, but is there things that we can do in our daily life to try and contribute to solve this challenge? Uh, yeah, so obviously every individual and every citizen has a part to play to solve the problems around them, around uh, their community, in my opinion. So you don't have to be someone from health background or someone from a nutritional background to solve this crisis. Uh, as you might know that um, there are many challenges Challenges in terms of food security or having ample or adequate resources of food around us uh, in our community or in our homes. So what we can do as a normal person or a normal citizen is that maybe reach out to those people or those families who have difficulty in accessing these food sources or maybe not just that, you know, even telling uh, mothers or telling the family members of pregnant and lactating women that there are these kind of resources or these facilities available nearby to their houses or communities from where they can reach out for better uh, services in terms of health or, you know, help them to get opportunities in terms of employment or some sort of skills so that uh, the family can be dependent financially or independent financially to gain a sustainable source of income so that their 
day to day food or nutritional sources can be fulfilled and hence uh, the health of the mother and child can go on to uh, improve in the long term so even though you might not be a part of sochai or you don't have to be someone who's a doctor or a nurse or a medical practitioner just giving out this sort of information or uh, connecting those kind of uh, vulnerable people with concerned authorities or stakeholders in that way also you can play a part to combat uh, the problems of malnutrition in your community uh, that's what i think and is that something that you always cared about this issue when you were younger did you always because we were mentioning like it's really your passion project and you are really happy to work on it every day and i think it's super nice to hear yeah. that i just wondered if is that something you wanted to do already when you were younger to work on nutrition on maternal health uh, hygiene um yeah so as i was growing up uh, i always wanted to be involved in work Uh, that was related to health sector as in while i was growing up you know uh, there was this ambition to become a doctor but i went on to study pharmacy uh, for my undergraduate level and uh, just when i graduated from college uh, we had this massive earthquake of 2015 Uh, as you might recall yeah so there were a lot of international projects and different health programs that started in nepal post the earthquake and that's how i uh, got acquainted with different kind of health projects as i got a chance to work with unicef and with the local uh, government health body here in my home district so during my work and tenure in the unicef project i got to explore different areas within my home district here in kathmandu uh, specifically called the lalitpur the area is called lalitpur so since i come from the uh, capital itself you know it's a quite urban area with uh, all the facilities and resources available at your footstep so uh it was quite a shocking experience for me when i saw such remote and rural places inside my home district you know around the outskirts during my tenure at the project and this just made me realize that there are so many people young people especially like me who actually are not aware or do not know what the actual scenario and the actual problems of the people of our country is Uh, they do not know that uh, people might have to walk for more than 2 or 3 hours just to get to uh, get basic level of education or to go to the nearest market or to get the first uh, level of transportation you know to get a bus to travel somewhere so this was an actual eye opening situation for me and from then onwards you know that's when i decided that yes i need to do something for these kind of people i need to do something for this kind of community where there is actual need of uh, knowledge awareness and uh, creation of accessibility to resources and facilities based on health because that's what i primarily worked on and that's how i was always intrigued to learn more 
to talk to the people in the community, know about their problems and try to brainstorm and come up with innovative solutions to solve their problems. And just around the corner came the Youth Innovation Challenge, which served as the perfect opportunity to explore and develop ideas. And that's how uh, ultimately Sochai was born. So, yeah, I guess I always wanted to do something for the people in the health sector. And uh, because of my academic background and my professional uh, experience during the two and a half years of UNICEF project engagement, I got the chance to learn and uh, know and realize my actual passion about what I wanted to do in life. And because I was uh, involved with Sochai and its inception, its development, I then went on to pursue a master's degree in food and nutrition in 2017. So yeah, Sochai has helped me to achieve my professional goals as well. And I'm taking my academic goals side by side in the sector of nutrition uh, along with working in Sochai. Yeah, I'd like to come back yeah, to this moment because I think it's really your eye-opening aha moment when you know you travel to all the provinces of Nepal in the rural areas and you discover basically how maybe life looks like uh, and how it's different for Kathmandu. And yeah, I wondered, you know, you I think it's a moment where you really discover your why. You know, you wrote on your bio that you are passionate about bridging the gap between people and their basic healthcare services, especially in rural areas. So yeah, maybe I'd like I'd love to come back to this exact moment. Like what happened after where you clear on what you were supposed to do, how you could take action on that. And yeah, how did that lead to the creation of such shy? Maybe, yeah, that would be great if you could walk us through a bit all the steps after you had this, you know, realization that you wanted to work with people in the rural areas. I think it just, you know, was a sequential uh, sort of events and I actually got to connect the dots uh, for what I wanted to do in my life because of all those experiences and applying to the innovation challenge and then on to creating Sochai. Also, there was this one experience uh, when in 2016, I also was involved in creating another organization called HAPSA, uh, which stands for Health Advancement Programs in South Asia with one of my uh, US-based doctor friends. And uh, we also set up a primary healthcare center in one of the earthquake affected areas nearby to Kathmandu under that project. And there too, I had similar experiences like in the UNICEF project, as in it was the area was, uh, you know, nearly an hour drive from the main city here in Kathmandu. But the people in that village, they had to walk for more than 45 minutes, almost about an hour to reach the nearest health post or to reach the nearest uh, primary care center to buy even basic level of medicines like paracetamol or to have first aid services. So that experience too was something that really intrigued me to think about why 
is it uh, so that people who are a bit farther from the city or who belong to somewhat of a rural background have to uh, take such long uh travels or you know put in so much effort to just buy a simple tablet of paracetamol or to get first aid services whereas it's according to our constitution and our basic human rights it's uh imperative that we get access to basic health services under our uh radar right so this really got me to thinking that why there's this kind of disparity and discrepancy between the urban and the rural population or amongst the uh, privileged or people who have those sources and uh, compared to those who do not have those means or access or are from a bit underprivileged uh, financially lower class uh of families or communities so that's why uh, i always felt that services facilities firstly need to be reached out to those who do not have them under their radar uh those who have to you know pay extra efforts or extra financial resources just to get basic, basic services those people or those communities should be entrapped first and that's how we can uh, actually uh, say that yeah every citizen of nepal has access to health services or every person or every uh, individual family can get a uh, service of health and, and uh, you know necessary uh, amenities under their uh communities or their radar so this was the actually uh, the main motive or you know main objective that drove my passion and drove my ambition in life that yeah something needs to be done to those kind of people and those kind of families at first if we want to create uh, a change or if we actually want to see that Uh, Nepal's health status is going uh, upwards in the coming days. There's one thing that really, that really, I'm wondering is because you, you have this. You know, when you speak, really, we can feel like you really have this. You know, um, you want justice, and I'm wonder like. Where does it come from? Like why? Like I, I don't know how to ask this question, but you know, like you, you've 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 traveled to all the provinces, you've seen all the issues. Why does that make you? I don't know how to ask, but you know, many people maybe might see the issues, they might not care, they might decide not to do anything about it. But you, you know, so driven, uh, yeah. and you explain it so well. And it's also not, I mean, uh, from what I understood, it's not your world. Like, you know, you grew up in Kathmandu, and you discovered about all these issues after the earthquake. So I wonder what, why are you so driven? I, is there something particular uh, uh, about you that, that makes you really, okay, I saw this problem. I really care. I really want to do something about it. 
I, I don't know if the question makes sense, <laughs> but uh, the, the, yeah. Do, do you think there is something special about you or something that makes you want to fight for those most left behind? So I don't know why I was so driven. And, you know, uh, like you mentioned, many people actually see it, but uh, do not care or are not really so uh, pertinent or, you know, um, moved by these challenges as I was. I think there are some personal experiences and uh, personal reasons that uh, actually connect me so much to the issues that I mentioned. Uh, one of them being that uh, my grandfather, I could not uh, meet him uh, in my life because he passed away when he was just 51 years old and uh, he passed away due to tuberculosis. And uh, even though he was just 51 years old and, you know, uh, there were no difficulties for us, uh, I think for our family to have foods or uh, regular medicines or health services. I think uh, there was that awareness and knowledge gap regarding uh, what kind of habits or what kind of uh, diet one needs to have to become healthy and to prevent weakness uh, in the long term that can help you to to fight diseases or even chronic conditions in the long term. So I guess losing my grandfather at such a, uh, a tender age, you know, because 51 is just the middle age, not for someone to lose their lives. And I think, yeah, this experience and the stories that I used to hear from my father about how he lost his life at such a young age, Um, so yeah, the, this was something that always, uh, drove me or enticed, uh, that force within me that I wanted to get involved within the health sector and do something, uh, as a health professional when I grow up. And, uh, apart from it, one of the other experiences is that when I was visiting all these different areas post the earthquake, Uh, during my job tenure, I came across a middle-aged man in one of the villages and he had brought his three-year-old son to the health post where I was going for my uh, routine inspection and field visit. And he told me that he carried his son on foot and walked for more than one and a half hours just to get a small bandage on his son's head because he had a wound over there. So that's just primary first aid service. And, uh, you know, the guy, he was wearing basic sandals and it was really hot. And the child, he was bleeding from his forehead. So all these scenes just made me realize the kind of privilege that I grew up with. Whereas there were also people like those who had to walk for such a long time to get just the basic enmity of health service. I think uh, it also made me realize the kind of social injustice and the level of disparities we have between peoples of different classes here in our country. And I think it just, you know, uh, there was this moment of self-realization that so many people are losing their lives 
and having to face an untimely death due to reasons as such just because they were not so fortunate to belong to a privileged class with access to financial resources or health resources within their reach and there's also another experience while we were piloting our bracelet in the community under sochai i met a mother of three young infants you know there were triplets two daughters and a son whom i met in the community while we were just telling and introducing our bracelets to the mothers in the community 10 days of the earthquake took place and unfortunately during the earthquake her house had collapsed completely from the ground they were living in a tin shed in a open field and uh, there were nine of our family members who were forced to crammed uh, up and uh, stay inside that tin shed and because of all this there were no proper resources for her to feed herself and hence she was not able to breastfeed her infants properly as well So as I was observing the triplets I saw that her children you know they were showing some early signs of stunting as in their head and their neck part was kind of drooping and their eyes were drooping so I could see that the children were showing early signs of malnutrition and that's when I talked to the mother she told me that she did not have any idea that she needs to exclusively breastfeed her children for 6 months and she had started feeding them milk and formula after 3 months of their birth because she was not producing enough milk for all three kids and also i think just realizing that mothers nearby to kathmandu even they do not have this level of knowledge that what kind of foods they need to feed their children why breastfeeding is so much important So yeah these kind of experiences they just moved me to the core and i guess that's why i got even more connected to my dream and goal of doing something in the health sector and was so driven and you know like you mentioned this internal passion and force came from within me that yeah i need to do this and this is what i want to change now thinking about it but you are like in you know meeting all these people hearing all this like terrible really sad stories how like do you manage how, how do you i already have question i am not sure how to ask because it's really not a like <laughs> a thing i know but i wonder how do you manage to keep your own sanity or your own maybe mental health and it feels like you hear and witness and observe so many such stories so many things that make you angry at at the system i wonder like how do you manage to you know just not be angry all the time or be sad all the time but manage to keep your sanity keep your mental health and just yeah move forward Obviously you know Mua, listening to all these difficult experiences and the sad stories and looking all over all these hardships that people face it's quite unfortunate and you tend to question your existence as well at times you know like am i doing enough or uh, have i been successful to reach out 
to them or actually create an impact but i think i feel that i'm very blessed to have a great team at sochai and a great uh, group of friends that we communicate on a regular basis we uh, share our stories and the challenges that we face in the community and have this platform to free our mind you know and speak uh, about whatever issues or the feelings that we might be facing and because of this open communication and sharing platform that we have uh, i think we have been able to tackle the challenges as a team and also encourage one another to uh always be driven to our passion and driven to our mission and goals so that uh, we'll be able to put in more efforts and you know have a collective approach in solving these kind of problems it's also been very helpful to create a close bond of friendship and uh, professional uh, relationship as well so that you can support one another and uh, give your inputs feedback or even uh, critical reactions at times so that one can improve uh, their take or uh, creating some suitable solutions for their problems as well and ultimately this kind of relationship and this kind of open communication will help you to uh, keep your mental health in check and you know balance your sanity as well so i think yeah having a group of uh, well balanced team and supportive friends and team members has definitely helped me in this process yeah i feel like you know when i was looking at sochai i really feel like the team is a very big part of sochai and yeah about that so you mentioned sochai was kind of born from youth innovation challenge do you remember the first day do you remember when like how did you see this call for application and then what did you do to set up the team set up the proposal and then what happened next when you got selected and developed the bracelet like the first few oh, days yeah. of Sochai. Uh, yeah, so uh, our CEO, Bonita, she actually saw the grant and, you know, uh, the innovation challenge that it was open on the internet. And three of us, like Bonita, me and Monjita, our other co-founder, we were actually connected via a local NGO here, which coincidentally is named Lifeline Nepal. <laughs> so uh, we used to gather at Lifeline for our monthly meetings at times, you know, for the uh, UNICEF project to share our updates and stuff. And that's when Bonita shared that this kind of challenge is opening up and uh, she was thinking of uh, applying and she wanted to have a team Uh, assembled within uh, that time frame that that was announced for the application and that's how we came together and uh, we chose the theme of malnutrition because for Nepal there were three themes and we found that malnutrition was something we all connected very much because we were primarily from health and social work backgrounds and all of us really loved working in the community especially with children that's why we targeted malnutrition And yeah, so uh, there were different phases 
of mentorship uh, during the Youth Innovation Challenge, where we were first given tasks and different challenges of uh, team activities online, you know, uh, because the main judging team was in Malaysia. And uh, week by week, we tackled those challenges, did our tasks, completed them successfully. And ultimately, when we reached to the final round, uh, our team member Bonita got invited uh, to represent Sochai as in our team from Nepal uh, for the final event in Malaysia, in Kuala Lumpur. And during that time, she was assigned with the task to, you know, uh, implement the given task in the actual community. So I remember in the final judging round, uh, with real mothers in the community and get their feedback back to the judging panel in Malaysia. And uh, Bonita uh, sent us the message that we need to do that and three of us as in me Monjita and Ashutosh we went to a government hospital which is a, a really big health facility and you know uh, when we went to the hospital that day and you know we just stood outside the outpatient department the OPT department of the hospital we waited for the mothers to come in and talk to us and we were just there at the door holding the bracelet and we just stopped every mother who was passing by you know requested her to listen to what we had to say explain them the idea of the bracelet and uh, luckily for us all the mothers they were quite appreciative of the bracelet they said that they did not have this knowledge from anywhere prior to listening to us and they found it to be quite useful and uh, also that we were given a task to ask the beneficiaries as in the mothers that would they be willing to buy our innovation as in the bracelet for a nominal price and thankfully i think the mothers were quite impressed with our idea you know all the mothers they uh, responded quite positively as in uh, all of them were uh, quite appreciative and uh, they responded that they would be willing to buy our bracelet for a nominal price or a nominal charge because uh, this was the first time that they had the access to this vital information about nutrition and breastfeeding uh, for their children and this feedback was definitely a big boost for us and our uh, team challenge and I think it was also one of the crucial factors that led us to win the final round in the youth innovation challenge so I think uh, with the simplicity of idea the easy acceptance and the uh, quick reception and appreciation from the mothers was also one of the crucial factors because of which we won the Youth Innovation Challenge. So, uh, yeah, uh, as I sit here to recall the memories of that time, it actually feels quite surreal because we came in and started with zero expectations, but we actually went on to win the very first prize uh, with such a simple idea and uh, beating 17 other countries from the Asia-Pacific region. So that was a huge, huge achievement for us. And with that uh, win, I think we became a bit more confident and a bit more sure that, yeah, uh, this idea is something tangible and can actually have an impact for mothers in the long run. That's such a nice story. And 
just before we move on, I, I'd like really to emphasize two things for the listeners. Uh, I think what you said so far is like, if we just speak about, you know, uh, social enterprise or launching project, you mentioned two things that are really important that I just want to emphasize. The first one is asking, you know, real people what they think <laughs> if they're willing to pay because before you actually ask them, everything you think is just assumptions and you need to test your assumptions. And I think it's so funny the way you did it. Like Bonita went to KL she realized it was one of the judging criteria. She said, just send you a text. And you all just ran outside uh, to the first hospital. And I think it's super entrepreneurial, you know? I mean, and I think just shows how strong the team is to just support each other. And yeah, from your story, so yeah, there is this, like the, your entrepreneurial skills and willingness just to go out and ask people just even if you didn't plan for it, uh, the, how strong is your team? And also something that you've, did, you've done through your whole life. It's not something you've done just for the competition, but it, it's the understanding of the problem. It's something you have seen for a few years. And we know it's the first thing that we want to know is whether the team understand which problem they want to face. And in your case, and I'm sure the same for the other co-founders, but it's a problem that you have observed by yourself through working for the past few years. So you know exactly what needs to be done, what is the problem faced by people. And I think, yeah, that's good recipe to be winning this competition, like uh, understanding of the problem, good team and willingness to ask real people uh, what they think. So I think there's a lot of lessons learned from from your story also from well, that could be applied to any sector, any products. So thanks for sharing this fun anecdote. Thanks, Dean. Yeah, I also want to inform you that uh, during the initial uh, weeks of our mentorship, we were introduced with the concept of human-centered design thinking process while developing our innovation. And I think uh, because we were able to empathize with our users and beneficiaries so much, I think our innovation went on to become so impactful and effective. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's so important not to rush on the solution, but really empathize yeah. with the people. And I just have a random question, but the compete actually the youth innovation challenge is it is it generation unlimited? I think uh, it was a different program altogether. I think there was this high level meeting uh, of the leaders from the youth and sports ministry of different countries from the Asia Pacific region. And uh, this used to happen in every three years. And yeah, the competition was open in 2016 when we won during that time. Oh, okay, okay. Oh, so you're actually the first winners ever of this competition. Uh, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Thanks for sharing. So yeah, so so yeah, so you won the the the, the seed grant. So you managed to produce more bracelets and reach more pregnant moms. And yeah, you shared a bit about the impact already. So 
Yeah, I wonder like how did you then evolve from this first new three bits bracelet? How did you yes. <laughs> move from that? And I mean, you could have stick with bracelets, right? And just try to produce and support as many people as possible. But I know that you've developed then the red, ci red cycle bracelet to help yeah. track menstruation. And then you also have so many other activities as well. So could you share a bit like how did you like scale from this first bracelet to everything that you do now? So after we won the Youth Innovation Challenge, uh, we actually thought of creating an innovative approach in delivering our services part as well. And that's how we went on to develop the concept of training uh, young people for uh, delivering our uh, education and awareness part. So the first thing that we did after we won was that we trained 25 young people We're primarily from uh, health, medicine, social work backgrounds, and public health backgrounds. So these students, they actually have a mandatory uh, requirement that they need to do some kind of voluntary and community work to complete their academic course. So uh, we trained them and uh, we mobilized them in our pilot implementation area and Uh, the feedback we received, uh, like I mentioned a while ago, that we did a pilot survey over there and we found that almost 83% of mothers had increased their uh, knowledge level and uh, had some kind of positive change uh, on the breastfeeding and complementary feeding pattern for their infants. So uh, this was also a huge encouragement for us to continue our work. And, you know, that's how we started looking for more areas to reach out to uh, mothers who required this kind of knowledge. And uh, because uh, $5,000 is not much of a significant amount, uh, we used to conduct short-term programs at different areas. Uh, we used to reach out to uh, different health workers and female community health volunteers who are the first Um, go-to person in the community here in Nepal. So we uh, gave and distribute, uh, distributed our bracelets to the health workers and FCHVs in the community so that they could uh, teach mothers and uh, women in every community that they reached out to in, in future. And uh, apart from that, uh, in 2018, we also started our school-based programs where We used to uh, conduct three days of intensive training for students between class six and class nine uh, on different topics of nutrition, the advantages of uh, balanced diet and the disadvantages of junk food because, you know, junk food consumption is quite high in both urban and rural, rural areas here in Nepal, amongst school children especially. So that's what we taught them about. And also on hand washing and hand hygiene and different other aspects of basic healthcare. So uh, our school programs and this concept of uh, nutrition boot camps was also quite successful. And, you know, we got to collaborate with different other organizations like uh, Dulikel Hospital and uh, UNESCO uh, to conduct our school-based nutrition boot camps as well. 
and in 2018 uh, because we used to uh, interact with so many school children during that time um, we found that many of the female students you know uh, while we were conducting our boot camps they would come to us and ask so many questions on menstruation about what actually happens during menstruation and the kind of hygiene that they need to follow during this period uh even though menstruation is a part of our school curriculum uh, there are a lot of social stigmas and taboos associated with it here in our community because of the age old customs and uh, some of the religious myths that uh, menstruation is a process that makes a female impure and you know that she needs to uh, have different kind of restraining uh, habits and practices during this period so that's when we thought that uh if we are talking to youth and adolescents and talking to them about or educating them about nutrition health hygiene menstruation also needs to be incorporated and that's how we developed the red cycle bracelet which is a uh, another one of our innovations so it's a a simple bracelet again having 28 beads which represents the 28 days of uh, average cycle of a woman's uh, monthly period and uh, the bracelet uh, you know simplifies and explains the overall process of menstruation as in the 5 to 7 days of bleeding the day of ovulation the most fertile period uh, during the cycle as well as about premenstrual syndrome Uh, about the changes that happen uh, during this time both the physical and hormonal changes and uh, apart from that it also has a small tracker uh, with an elephant on it which can be moved to track your cycle as well as uh, with the elephant having it there we're trying to uh, preach out to the girls that uh, menstruation is a completely natural process and they should take it as their strength but not as a weakness because uh, it is the first step to their reproductive life and it is the first step for them to start to create another life on this earth so that's why uh, with this bracelet we've always tried to uh, disparage the myths and the negative uh, practices that are prevalent here we encourage girls to speak up about these practices and you know uh, normalize it completely also while we do these classes on mhm or menstrual hygiene we uh, make sure that we include the boys classmates as well because uh, ultimately it's the male members uh, as their brothers or fathers or even husbands in the future who need to support their female counterparts during this crucial period of their cycle so in this way we started conducting these school programs and starting we started uh, the distribution of red cycle as well and during this process even though we started out with a uh mission and goal of being a non-profit organization we came to realize that uh winning grants and you know conducting projects from donations or uh grant uh, money is not a very sustainable approach and that's how we thought that maybe we can sell these bracelets uh to people who can buy them and you know uh generate funds to conduct our community programs and that's how the idea of entrepreneurship i think actually flourished uh, within our minds in the team we came up with the concept of buy one give one as in whenever our buyer buys one bracelet we use that money to give one bracelet for a mother or a 
adolescent girl in the community for free with our counseling. And in this way, I think uh, Sochai just transitioned from a non-profit organization to a non-profit social enterprise, wherein we thought of being donor independent and you know creating sustainable sources to conduct our community programs in the long term and even during this time because we we're not quite sure about how we were going to move forward we had not registered officially here within our uh, country's ecosystem but in 2019 we were successful in winning another international global grant called the LEAD 2030 Challenge. Uh, it's held by One in World, which is a famous uh, UK-based nonprofit organization. And uh, the idea of our Nutribeads bracelet again won uh, the LEAD 2030 Challenge for the SDG goal number two, zero hunger. And uh, since it was a, a global grant, it was of a larger scale and had bigger remuneration as the prize money. Uh, we were very lucky that uh, we were the only team from Nepal that was the winner in the challenge. And we beat over 1,200 participants from over 100 countries of the world and won $50,000 uh, for our uh, programs and our mission. And that's when we decided to officially register as a non-profit company here in our uh, uh, country's uh, official system and from 2019 Sochai has been operating as a social enterprise a non-profit company wherein we sell our bracelets and uh, we also apply to other grants side by side and uh, with this dual approach of grant money and uh, the uh, selling of our bracelets we collect funds and collect uh, resources to uh, conduct programs at schools to mothers and women in the community, as well as uh, programs for health workers and the FCHVs. And this model, I think the buy one, give one model has been quite successful in creating a niche for Sochai as one of the prime youth organizations. I think it's actually the only youth organization in Nepal that's working in nutrition. Cool, thank you so much for sharing all of that. I think so much things I, I want to come back to. Uh, maybe the first one is, I think it's very interesting the way you try to reach grassroots areas because you mentioned you have different entry points, right? You mentioned the training all the youth who have to, in their curriculum, to do some volunteering work. You mentioned the community health workers. You mentioned the product with UNICEF. You mentioned working with schools. So I think, yeah, it's very interesting the way you're just trying to reach more, you know, rural areas, but through all fronts, through all these channels. And yeah, I find it very innovative. It's very interesting because you identified every actor that has a role in addressing this issue and just work with them. I find it very comprehensive and innovative. And the second thing that I found interesting in what you just shared is also the transition from being purely donation-based to developing your own revenue stream by selling bracelets. And yeah, I just want to highlight 
if anyone is listening and want to support Sochai, you can go on Sochai website, order some bracelets. I think they, yeah, I, I check and you do international delivery. So yeah, everyone, you can support Sochai by purchasing some bracelets as well. Really love the approach, like just trying to work with all the stakeholders and also developing your own revenue stream. And really congrats on One Young World. I think that's very prestigious award. So yeah, no, I think that's uh, that's super nice. Thank you for sharing a bit the timeline and history and achievements of Sochai. And what are the next steps for Sochai now? Now that you're registered, you got this award from One Year World, what are your next things that you'd like to do in the future? Yeah, uh, firstly, thank you, Dean, for uh, giving a shout out to our work uh, across to your listeners. And thank you so much. And yeah, uh, so currently uh, through Sochai, we're primarily targeting three age groups or three group of beneficiaries. First is the pregnant and lactating women and their children. Uh, second one is youth and adolescents, primarily through our nutrition boot camps and youth trainings that we conduct for school children and college students, like we have been doing, and creating a pool of uh, youth volunteers that would work for nutrition, health, and hygiene through Sochai. And the third one, it's a relatively new concept, uh, and it's still in its pilot phase as of now. So in the third beneficiary group, we're trying to reach out to uh, different women uh, who are enrolled in the community-based mothers and women's group. So we have these AMA Samuhas and uh, Mahila Samuha, and which means mothers and women's group in our community who are engaged in uh, conducting different uh, trainings and, you know, uh, have awareness programs on health and also conduct some uh, cooperative finance activities uh, in grassroots levels. So what we're trying to do now is uh, we plan to train these members of uh, these mothers and women's group on uh, a skill-based uh, activity linking agriculture and nutrition so that they will be able to create, create resources of uh, food uh, sources that are vital for a woman's nutrition, especially during pregnancy and lactation period. You know, small food uh, resources uh, to start off with. And uh, we, what we plan to do is uh, brand their products and connect them to a uh, organic and a unique type of market here in the urban uh, areas or in the major cities so that they will have a, a source of higher revenue for their products and also have a sustained source of income uh, to improve the life of their families as well as to purchase more nutritious and healthy foods for themselves as well. So uh, currently we are in the first phase of implementing this pilot project of skill-based trainings linking agriculture and nutrition where we've trained a few women in the community on uh, mushroom farming and there have been some positive results uh, as of now. So uh, most certainly it has have, uh, been disturbed due to the ongoing COVID crisis. But uh, yeah, we look forward to connecting with them more and, you know, coming up with even more innovative technologies uh, such as value addition through solar drying uh, to existing food products that they produce or even uh, training them on producing 
uh, food sources that are uh, high on nutrient value or uh, explore uh, some local grains that have high nutrient value but are not really utilized or you know uh, are underutilized because uh, people are not really aware of their nutritious uh, value or the worth that they carry so yeah we're currently under the um, exploring side of this and our product manager eva is taking the lead on this part and we're quite excited to see the results as in what kind of uh, products uh, or nutritious foods that we'll be able to produce through this approach of social entrepreneurship and uh, uh, the kind of feedback we'll receive from our buyers and the local market here. So yeah, quite excited and looking forward to it. Uh, as for Team Sochai, I'm currently operating as the director of programs wherein I look after, plan and manage the overall community programs that is being done from our team. Uh, we cur currently have three projects under our belt. So uh, through our uh, LEED 2030 prize money, we're uh, conducting a two-year program in two different provinces at two different municipalities uh, currently uh, under the Youth for Nutrition program where we reach out to all the three beneficiary groups that I mentioned before, the pregnant and lactating mothers, youth and adolescents and women who women members of the mothers and women's group uh, with this uh, we're uh, utilizing innovation education and entrepreneurship uh, to create uh, and go towards our achieve the goal of women empowerment and ultimately to eliminate zero hunger the sdg2 that we primarily focus on uh, apart from that uh, we also conduct many uh, organizational collaborations as in many uh, organizations working here in the sector of health, hygiene and nutrition purchase our bracelets and, you know, uh, uh, distribute it to their beneficiaries at different areas. And apart from that, uh, for our internal uh, revenue generation and uh, revenue pooling, we're also developing different wellness and nutrition uh, sessions and you know uh, programs uh, targeted to corporate houses and organizations for their staff welfare uh, wherein we teach them about uh, basics of nutrition wellness uh, bmi calculation and the kind of foods resources and balanced diet that they need to have on a day-to-day -day basis so yes we're currently growing and even Though COVID has impacted our uh, goals and <laughs> on-site programs, we also focus on digital advocacy as in we try to come up with interesting content on nutrition. We create some uh, funny and short animation videos which has been highly appreciated, uh, which are based on uh, breaking the menstrual taboos and uh, empowering breastfeeding in uh, public places. So you can also check that out on uh, our YouTube and social media. And apart from that, we also share vital uh, information on uh, nutrition, nutrition facts, uh, share nutritious uh, recipes, and also relevant information uh, on COVID prevention as of now. So yeah, it's uh, currently a busy situation as well. And uh, I think it's a growing uh, phase for Sochai in terms of product development and revenue generation too. Wow, that's crazy. I mean, just thinking everything started from Bonita seeing a post on Facebook and now 
winning the grant and now I'm just thinking how it's growing so much. Good luck on this incredible journey. Thank you for sharing all of that. I think Thank uh, you. sounds so exciting. And I'm just wondering, like, it sounds like you will need to work <laughs> all the time, 24-7. Um, I just wonder, you know, do you ever feel, you know, overwhelmed or do you ever feel tired? Just that there's so many things happening. And what are your secret tips to maybe get some dose of energy or to recharge your batteries? Um. Yes, of course. I mean, I'm also human and <laughs> oh, so much of workload influx. Uh, it gets to me at times, you know, because uh, obviously there's physical exhaustion as well as mental pressure to be performing at your highest level at all times. And especially because you are dealing with one of the most vulnerable and uh, challenging groups, that is the pregnant and lactating mothers, you need to be careful and cautious about how your programs are being operated or run and how the services part are being implemented, whether you have all the products required to be sent out to the community standby. So yeah, there are different challenges that come with it. But I think uh, as I mentioned previously too, that we have a very strong team with uh, individual roles assigned uh, to each members and uh, thankfully uh, very fortunate to have such a great team with me you know who support uh, not just in the day-to-day -day operational and professional uh, task but as well as there's this environment and platform to share your personal problems and issues or the things that might uh, get to you during your work So, yeah, I think what I would uh, advise or, you know, maybe just uh, would like to share with all young people or your listeners is that it's important that you have that room for clear and open communication amongst the people that you work with. Because even though there might be uh, someone who is in the top level of leadership or even if someone is just a volunteer or at the starting phase of his or her career, it's important that you share your ideas and uh, share about your challenges, talk about your problems. And uh, this, sort of, uh, this sort of sharing should be there and the room for open communication should always be there if you want to build a strong team and also maintain your sanity while uh, implementing your life Uh, and professional goals side by side because uh, I also believe in this saying that if you want to go fast you go alone but if you want to go far you have to have a team right so uh, if you're looking to be successful in the long term and have a sustainable and a strong team with you I think it's important that you also make the effort to communicate and look after the people that you work with not just when it comes to uh, their professional life, but their personal life as well. And yeah, uh, please always be open and have that room for uh, communication and uh, platform to for each and every member of the team to speak out and feel like they are actually being heard and valued. And I think uh, apart from that, yeah, never stop uh, learning 
please always have that zeal to explore research and learn new things every day because there's still so much to be done in the world and there's still so much uh, to learn and you know problems to be solved so yeah keep yourself at your toes and work and tackle every day with an open mind no and i feel it's also it's a reflection of your i guess of your life philosophy too and on that so i have final three questions for you questions i always end with and one is really linked to what you said I wonder, you know, we spoke a lot about So Chai, about Lifeline, not the podcast, but Lifeline Nepal, um, and your dream to be a doctor when you were younger. I, I wondered, like, who is Neha? But, you know, not related to So Chai or health. How would you describe Neha? Mm. Yeah, so that is kind of, sort of a tricky question. Uh, <laughs> so I think, yeah, Niha is just a simple, simple girl, a simple person who is uh, always very keen to learn and listen to other people. And I think she's quite empathetic by nature and uh, she's always very observant to listen to other people and you know learn from their experiences and maybe even uh, implement those life lessons in her journey as well and deep question coming how would you like people to know you and remember you for yeah i think uh, <laughs> yeah, i think people i would like people to remember me as someone who Uh, loves to work in the community and loves to devise innovative approaches to solve problems, especially related to health and nutrition in her surrounding. I guess it's you already reached this level, right? Um, yeah, this, I still am in the journey because There is a lot more faces and a lot more mothers who need this kind of knowledge in my country. And it's just the beginning for me. There's a long way to go. Okay. And yeah, how would you describe yourself in three hashtags? <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> uh, the three hashtags would be hashtag kind. Uh, hashtag empathetic and hashtag change maker. It's so interesting because um, you remind me a lot of uh, another guest I interviewed, who's also my colleague. I interviewed her twice actually for episode one and episode 25. And she also put kind in her hashtags. Oh, and okay. <laughs> one interesting thing that I talked with her in the so the second one episode 25 is we are reflecting a lot so her name is Linka and we are reflecting a lot on you know how to create empowering environment for young people a bit of what you mentioned before you know and empowering environment for us it's like very transparent environment and very safe environment where people are safe to speak out, are safe to 
learn, as they have to share about their stories. But most of all, for us, we tried to see, okay, what is, if we had to highlight one important, maybe the most important element, uh, it's where people are kind and where people are trusted. Because one thing we noticed is youth have so much power, but many times either they don't trust the power they have or either they are in a disempowering environment where the environment itself do, don't trust them. So if they, yeah. And then they just tend not to trust themselves either because no one trusts them. Oh, you are too young, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And we were reflecting, you know, that in our programs, many youth, they, you know, they organize workshops, they do public speaking, they develop their leadership skills, and they do things. And they always tell us, oh, I never thought that I could do that. Yeah. And we always tell them, you know, actually, yeah, we supported you, but only what we did is just trust you that you will be able to do it and just provide you a safety net just to make you sure that you are in a safe space. So even if you do mistake, it's okay. But what we only did is to trust that we ha they had already this inner power within themselves and that they're able to do it. And then they start to trust themselves and unleash this power. And then they start to be amazing even more. And yeah, I know it made me think a lot about being kind to people, which means to trust them in what they can do. And yeah, then she was sharing about her kindness philosophy, like what does it mean to be kind, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, <laughs> you can, yeah, if, I mean, you can listen. It's very interesting. But yeah, no, it yeah. makes me think a lot about your open communication, you know, speaking up, be transparent with your team members, whether you are a volunteer, whether you are CEO, whether you are whoever. And yeah, no, yeah. I think that's a great, great way to end the conversation. <laughs> yeah, this I positive think, note. yeah, you, I do agree with what you said, because even here uh, in our country, youth are usually, you know, uh, the power of youth is very much underdeveloped, and uh, even from the administrative or the government level, uh, the situation or the environment is not very encouraging for youths to come out or do something on their own. But I think uh, we as change makers need to take that initiative and uh, be confident and keep moving on the mission or the uh, dream that we carry because uh, as long as we're confident and we're willing to invest on our dreams, I think that's when we see the results. And then on, we start getting the confidence to actually go and chase our dreams. So, yeah, it's very important for youth, especially from uh, coming from a setting and environment like ours, that they need to battle this uh, inner demons that they have in them and this underconfidence or lack of confidence or even the imposter syndrome that it's usually termed, I think, uh, to go out there and, you know, uh, keep uh, moving and be resilient on the uh, path that they have chosen for themselves. Did you uh, feel the imposter syndrome with such high? 
Yes, of course. Many times, <laughs> even now, sometimes I have to deal with it because you know, uh, since we're working with the health and nutrition sector, it's uh, directly linked with the uh, programs, uh, health programs of the government, and we time and again have to go and talk to health officials at the government level or the Ministry of Health. And uh, like you said, people do not take the things that youth or young people have to say very seriously. And uh, it's tough to uh, crack that gap between the bureaucratic hierarchies that we face uh, on a day-to-day basis. And yeah, there was this challenge for us as well as a team because the concept of our bracelets were not taken very seriously before uh, the lead 2030 challenge win and before we were covered extensively by our national and local media here. But after that coverage and our lead 2030 challenge win, I think that's diminished to a bit and we've become a bit more confident when dealing with even government and administrative bureaucrats. Mm. Yeah, no, I think thanks for sharing this aspect as well, because, you know, hearing your stories and all the things that such I do, I think yeah, everything is perfect, they're doing so well, but you also have your moments of doubts and you're working on it. Uh, maybe just the real final question. Uh, where, where, where should yeah, people contact you? Uh, why should they contact you and how can they contact you? Um, yeah, so if anyone who's listened to the podcast and is willing to uh, get in touch with me or contact me, I think you can just send me a Facebook friend request. It's uh, my name, Niha Malla. You can find me on Facebook or on Instagram as well as Malla Niha 9, M A L L A N E H A 9, the number 9. And uh, apart from it, uh, you can always. Uh, Uh, know about Sochai's work through our social media pages. Uh, Just look up Sochai or even uh, through our website if you're willing to contribute or collaborate in any way with Sochai in the future. And yeah, uh, I think uh, you should contact me or reach out to me uh, because I'm always eager to learn and know about new things and Learn, uh, eager to learn from people and their experiences. Uh, as I said, that I'm very empathetic and observant by nature. So, yeah, uh, if you feel like doing something when it comes to uh, the sector of nutrition and health or even uh, youth and volunteerism, I think we'll have a similar mindset and I'm sure we'll be able to brainstorm to collaborate in some way. Cool. And also contact her to tell her how amazing her story is. <laughs> and Thank actually, you. I had, I had, I had a, a real final. I say that all the time, but that's a real one. I just, <laughs> I just, I just wondered, like, does your name mean anything? Ah, uh, yeah. So, um, my name is derived from uh, the Sanskrit word sne, sneha, which means affection. So, yeah, it means affection or affectionate. Okay, cool. Oh, yeah, but it's really, it's, it's a perfect word to summarize your whole story, actually. Oh, thank you. 
But uh, no, cool. Thank you so much for your time today. Listeners will not know because I will do the editing magic, but we had so many tech oh, <laughs> internet yeah. issues, uh, but we made thank it. You. So nice to meet you. Uh, thank you so much, Niha. And yeah, everyone, please send her a message just to tell how inspiring she was. Thank you, Din. It was really nice to talk to you as well. And I look forward and hope to talk to you and communicate with you in the future as well. Thank you again. Congrats for listening until the end of this episode. And as always, you can support Lifeline by sharing this episode with your friends, by subscribing or by writing a nice comment on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much and see you next time.